this morning, I want to actually start with a quote that I think of fairly often. And it's a quote that was given in the 1830s by a French philosopher called Alexis de Tocqueville. And I do have slides and I'll get into my message. And this has just been a quote I heard probably more than 30 years ago. And it's one of those quotes that just stay with you. So Alexis de Tocqueville, he was, and, and if you're French, it's probably Alexis de Tocqueville, something like that, okay? My French isn't very good, as you can tell. So to the Europeans in the 1800s, America was a real surprise because they perceived the center of the world to be around Europe, the center of enlightenment and knowledge and everything. And, you know, the rest of the world were kind of quite backward. But here was this colony in particular called America that was producing amazing liter literature, uh, was an economic powerhouse, was, um, you know, on every front that you would kind of assess how, how well a nation's doing, America was doing surprisingly well for a backward, you know, colony. And this guy, Alexis de Tocqueville, he went to America, and he toured around America, went all around America. And his mission was this, why is America great? How come this backward colony is producing such amazing stuff, the economy is so strong, etc.? And, and Alexis de Tocqueville wrote these famous words. They're quite, it's quite a well-known quote by him. He said, and his question was, why is America great? And he says, I sought for the greatness and the genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. I searched for it in her fertile fields and boundless prairies, and it was not there. I searched in her rich mines and a vast world commerce, and it was not there. Not until I went to the churches of America and I heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and her power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Brilliant quote, and I, I think in our generation we're actually seeing the fulfillment of these words. In what dimension? There are so many elements, elements of American society that have ceased to be good, and you are seeing conflict breaking out in America that, that Americans can't believe is happening in their own nation. America is great because she is good. And he said, not until I went to the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. And folks, you know, I pray that, that in South Africa, and let me say, I pray that this pulpit will always be aflame with righteousness. Amen? Righteousness is what is right in the eyes of God. And I'm telling you, if anybody comes and brings stuff from this pulpit that you feel, oh, that's not righteous, then I want to ask you, please, don't go and speak to your neighbor and say, <laughs> you know, please come and speak to the person who you think spoke some unrighteousness. I'm telling you, our heart is to bring God's word and to bring righteousness. So anyway, that's a little quote that I really enjoy, and it's keep me, kept me on the straight and narrow for, well, many years, let's just say. So this morning... I'm speaking about the noble character of Ruth. And last week we started kind of introducing this topic. I want to dig down into Ruth. And Ruth is an amazing person. 
because Boaz, who she eventually married, Boaz was, uh, he was the kind, rich, most eligible bachelor in town guy, okay? He said this of her, all the people of my town know that you, Ruth, are a woman of noble character. Everybody, he said, everybody know. He's in touch. He's, he's quite connected in the town. So everybody's talking about this woman of noble character. And he eventually marries her. And we'll look at the story now. But I want us to say about Ruth, you know, she moved to Bethlehem as a foreigner, a Moabites from Moab. She's a foreigner in a foreign land. She doesn't have, they don't have anything. In those days when you moved, you didn't put all your furniture in a truck and drove... You moved with the stuff you could carry, which inevitably was not much that two women could carry. We're traveling many, many kilometers across the desert to de basically desert lands to Bethlehem. They would have got there. They didn't have much in worldly wealth. But folks, I want to submit to you, Ruth was rich because she had noble character. And this morning I want to unpack, we're going to look at the story. We look at how she spoke, how she acted, how she carried about, how she lived. And we're going to look how this unlocked amazing favor with a kind, rich bachelor in town. And I want you to look at this. I'm, now, I'm not saying you're going to do this to kind of get hold of the kind, rich bachelor, guys. Okay. But I'm telling you, noble character unlocks favor that will surprise you. And we're just going to unlock this. Uh, unlock this. So, Another lady, Ruth Barton, we, we're sticking to the Ruths this morning. I put this quote last week, but she said this. We set young people up for a fall if we encourage them to envision what they can do before they consider the kind of person they should be. Young people, what kind of person do you want to be? Do you have an aspiration to be a person of noble character? Remember I put, uh, I think two, three weeks ago, I put up those stats. The millennial generation, they like 25 to 40, that zone. In America, 80% of them, their aspiration is to be rich. More than 50% of them, their aspiration is to be famous. Very few of them aspire to be people of noble character. I want to submit to you, you aspire to be a person of noble character, other things will follow. We don't do it for that. We do it primarily because it honors God. It glorifies God. And we want to live lives that glorify God. And if we live lives of noble character, with noble character, we glorify God. And that, for me, is enough. Listen, if favor comes, that's awesome. But I want to glorify God. So let's go on. Proverbs 22.1, in the same theme, says, A good name or reputation is rather to be chosen than great riches. Millennials haven't read this verse. And loving favor rather than silver and gold. Favor is more valuable than silver and gold. Do you know favor is, is a dimension of this incredible term in the New Testament entitled grace? Folks, when we when Christ reveals Himself to us and we respond to Him in surrendered devotion, giving our lives to Him the day we're born again, folks, we, we enter into phenomenal favor with God. But folks, more than that, how many of you have faith to find favor with man? The Bible speaks about how Jesus 
grew in wisdom and stature and found favor with man and with God. How many of you have faith to find favor with man? Folks, do you know how hard life is when you just experience the opposite of favor? When you experience maybe persecution or hatred or vengeance or jealousy? It's horrible. Life is hard when you experience that. This lady Ruth, folks, she had faith that she would find favor in this new town, in this foreign land, even though she was poor, had no worldly possessions. She had godly character, noble character, and she had faith for favor. In Proverbs 6, it highlights six things, actually seven. And why am I putting these up? Because I want to submit to you one of the foundation stones of noble character is honesty. Is just that you are honest. That if you say something, it is true. That I can believe what you say. And more than that, you do what you say. That is just, folks, it's not difficult to understand what noble character looks like. And it says in Proverbs 6, there are six things that the Lord hates. Wow. You know, you read that, it's like, okay, uh, let's take notes here. Okay. I don't want to be on the wrong side of God here. Seven things that are an abomination to him. Wow, guys. I mean, hate is a strong word. An abomination is a much stronger word than hate. That is like, you know, you take hate and you kind of crank it up a couple of levels. And it's like, okay, let's listen to what, what the Bible has to say here. Verse 17, haughty or proud eyes. A lying tongue, number two. I said to you, and why am I putting this scripture up? I want to highlight that out of the first six here, two of them are about honesty. God loves honesty. Two, a lying tongue. And hands that, sh and hands that shed innocent blood. God, I mean, we kind of, I get that one. But folks, murdering somebody is in the same vein of lying tongue. Kind of thing, ah, you know what? Ah, you know, I'll just tell you what I know you want me to say. I haven't murdered anybody. <clears throat> okay, let's just read the Bible. Verse 18. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. 19. A false witness who breathes out lies. Two of the six things that God hates is dishonesty, folks. And then if you wanted to know what the thing is an abomination to him, and one who sows discord amongst brothers. Sowing discord, what's the big deal? So, a bit of dis, you know? It's like, you know, I, I, I really love it when a wonke, you know, does welcome and announcements. You know, he's really led by the Spirit. But you know, you know, Sister One, you know, she's a bit different. Now, Sister One is an amazing spirit-led woman. So I thought this is probably a good example. Okay, and so is a wonke. But you know, you're saying discord and you say, you know, I, I, or, or I enjoy it, you know, you know, Amu is, is, she's a woman of the word. She preaches the word. You know, I, I think, guys, you know, we must only come to church when Amu preaches because, you know, if you want to hear the pure word of God. Folks, if you have a problem with somebody, you know, you will, be, you will be an abomination to God if you speak to your neighbor and tell them, <clears throat> you know, I don't like the way I won't get his announcements. You know, he, he's kind of too loud. You know, I enjoy a more gentle person like Oni. If you speak that to your neighbor, you are saying discord 
or disunity amongst in this house. And I just want to say, the word uses the, the Bible uses the word abomination for people like that. It's I, I'm like, okay, Lord, <laughs> I'm listening, Lord. Okay, okay, I love how you do announcements. I love how Oni does welcome. I love how Amu preaches the word. I mean, I'm just saying those were examples that I know are not true. I'm just kind of trying to flesh it out for you. About character, a person's character is the sum of their attitudes, thoughts, intentions, desires, and actions. Noble character is gauged by general tendencies of a person's life, not in the, on the basis of a few isolated actions or mistakes. We must look at the person's whole life to see their character, and we cannot expect perfection in anyone except God himself. Folks, when we talk about I'm not talking about perfection. You guys think I'm married to Mrs. Perfect. Guys, I'm sorry to blow your bubble. My wife's not perfect, okay? I need, at times, to express grace and mercy and forgiveness in bucket loads to my wife and mutual. She's not perfect. I know you think a wonk is perfect. I'm sorry to blow your bubble. <laughs> okay, Clamella, don't say amen right now, okay? <laughs> We're looking at the general tendency and direction of a wonke's life. We're looking at the general trajectory of Jenny's life, and you decide, is that person, does that person have noble character? Okay? Not the fact that, you know, once in his... The trajectory, yes. The general trajectory. You know, there was once that a wonke got cross about some driver that was driving in front of him and did something weird. It happened once. Clumelo told me. He's not perfect. I'm sorry to blow your bubble. Okay. It happened once. It still means he's still a noble character. Okay. Okay. Um, David was a man of good character. In 1 Samuel 13 verse 14, it says he was a man after God's own heart. Wow. What an amazing description of somebody's life, a man after God's own heart. Folks, when you read that, does that provoke you and say, God, I want your heart. I want God. I pray that you would say that of me. Although he sinned on occasion, 1 Samuel 11, the story of Bathsheba. However, King Ahab may have acted nobly once in 1 Kings 22. That's actually when he was died, okay? He nobly stood there and died slowly. Okay. But that's right at the end of his life. But he was the guy who, remember, who married Jezebel and gave Eli Elijah such a hard time. But he was still a man of overall bad character. In 1 Kings 16, 33, it says this about King Ahab, that he did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Whoa! Imagine that being put on your tombstone. Yeah, lies whoever, you know, Philippe, okay, there are no Philippe's over here. He did more to provoke God to anger than anybody else in his family line. <laughs> okay, let me just, uh, I kind of think he'll be buried very deep. Okay, let's move on. Okay, let's now, we're going to look at Ruth. I was just giving you a, a, a sort of a background to this whole concept of noble character. Ruth 1 verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, 
There was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, those words in the days when the judges ruled, very enlightening. When did the story take place? It's a book after the book of Judges. Now, Judges is, remember, it's a book after Joshua, between Joshua and Samuel. Samuel, we know, is an amazing prophet. It was during Samuel's time that the people cried out for a king, and they got their first king, Saul, just to the histor historical context. The time of Judges was about 400 years between the end of the Joshua generation and Samuel, 400 years, which was a time of basic chaos in Israel. For two reasons, they forsook the Lord and kept on going after foreign, uh, foreign gods. And there was no leadership in the land. There was no godly leadership. Every now and then God would raise up a deliverer, you know, like a Gideon or like a Deborah. And like for a couple of years while they have the strong leader go well. But then the leader dies. There's no uh, succeeding uh, generation to carry on this godly leadership. And they just carry on worshiping other gods. The indictment. You want to know? Why we as every nation so committed to young people? Why do we get young people like Amu to come and bring God's word? Because folks, I don't want to be known as a Joshua who was great in his generation, but when he left, there were no spiritual sons or daughters to carry on the ministry that the Joshua had, had been part of. And we are committed to raising up young people that will burn, that this pulpit will be on flame with righteousness 20, 30, 40 years from now when I'm singing glory, hallelujah in heaven. Amu and Amu's spiritual daughters and whoever, you know, Awonke and uh, whoever are going to be preaching this place on fire. Amen. In the days when the judges ruled, were actually dark days for Israel. The period was characterized by the phrase, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Why was that? They forsook, for they forsook God's law, and they didn't have godly leaders, people of noble character to lead them. There was no leadership, and there was no, they, they weren't following God's ways. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Folks, I am committed, I'm telling you, I'm committed not to do what's right in my eyes, but to do what's right in terms of God's eyes, in terms of God's word. This is a church that we are committed to following God's ways as found in His Bible, okay? And I'm telling you, there are times like, I know I can be deceived just as much as you and any other preacher across this land. That's why we need the word of God. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Amen. It's dangerous when we think, ah, I think this is right, and I think we must do this. And godly leadership is needed to give godly direction. We cannot just all go in our own direction. It leads to chaos. Just read the book of Judges. See what chaos there is in the land. So the summary of Ruth, I gave it verbally last week, but I, I put it down now, and I've just built it out. And sorry, there were one or two things I said last week that wasn't quite right. For example, Ruth's son was not Jesse, it was Obed. But anyway, uh, uh, Jesse was Obed's son, but we'll get it. Okay, summary of, of Ruth. So a famine forces Elimelech and his wife Naomi from their home in Israel to the country of Moab. Naomi's husband dies, and she's left with her two sons, who soon marry two Moabite girls, Orpah and Ruth. Later, both the sons die, and Naomi is left alone with Orpah and Ruth in a foreign land, 
Orpah returns to her parents, but Ruth is determined to stay with Naomi, and they journey back to Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem together. This story of love and devotion, it is a love story. She finds love. She marries the kind, rich uh, bachelor in town, okay? The story of love and devotion tells of Ruth's eventual marriage to a kind, wealthy man from Bethlehem named Boaz, by whom she bears a son, Obed. There we go. He is the grandfather of David and in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? This Moabite woman from nowhere, not part of Israel, she covenants to be with her mother-in-law, to go back to the nation of Israel, to serve the God that her mother-in-law serves. And God says, I see that faith. I see that character. I see that stuff inside of you. And I'm going to say, I want you in the lineage of my son. Ruth's noble character brings a great favor, provision, protection, and blessing. Okay, let's go on. Now, what I did, I read this story. I read uh, the book of Ruth. Only four chapters. Guys, you can read it. I promise you in under maybe 12 minutes. Okay. But I'm doing the calcs, usually about three or four minutes a chapter, okay? So I, what I want to do is I'm going to pull out various aspects that I see in Ruth's life. Now, we know she had noble character, but what I want to do, what does noble character look like? It's kind of like, you know, does he have noble character? Does she have noble character? Well, let's look at a real person in the Bible that the Bible says is noble character, and let's look at what are the dimensions of this noble character. So I'll put it up on the slide, and we're going to unpack them. I'll put the slides up where we look at it. Firstly, the noble character traits seen in Ruth, faithful in relationships, faithful with her mother-in-law, faithful in, in, in how she works in the fields, faithful to her husband eventually, Boaz. Seeing opportunity and working hard. We're going to see how she works in the fields. Faith to find favor. She goes with an expectation, I'm trusting, I'm going to work in these fields, I'm going to find favor. She's respectful and honoring. Oh my goodness. This is such a rare character trait in society today. This is becoming quite rare, actually. Seeing God's faithfulness and provision. This is the end result, the result of this life that she lived. Okay, let's look at faithful in relationships, the first one, in Ruth 1.16. And this is where Naomi, a mother-in-law, tells uh, these two, her two sisters, uh, daughters-in-law, says, listen, ladies, your, your sons have died. My, my husband has died. I'm going to go back home, back to Israel. Why don't you go back to your homes? And Orpah, the one with the one girl, she takes this stuff and she goes, and her idols, by the way. And, but Ruth, these are her words. Folks, these are words of covenant. These are words of faithfulness. This is the words, these are the words that a noble character will say. And I want to just say some of these words Jenny said to me when she said her marriage vows to me. These are powerful words. But Ruth replied, Ruth 1.16, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Wow, folks. Do you hear that though? That's covenantal language. These are the kind of words people do say and have said in marriage vows. This is covenantal language. But she's referring here, may the Lord deal with me. Folks, she's already has faith in the Lord, the God of Israel, 
the God of Naomi, she's already putting her faith in and said, I am submitted to him. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to be faithful to him in being faithful to you. Folks, this is a, this is a mark of godly character. I mean, I, I remember when we were still um, meeting in Ridge School Hall, you know, sometimes you, you, you preach a really great sermon, and everybody's like, you're really excited. And I remember one guy, he came to me after two services, six months apart. He came to me after the service, and he says, you know, Pastor Jacques, I'm covenanting with you. I'm going to be there for you. And I thought, wow, that, you know, not everybody says that to you after every time you preach. It was a bit unusual. I was like, thank you very much. That's amazing. You know, a year or two later, this guy stopped coming to church, and I, I was like, he hadn't come for about three months, and I asked him. And he said, yeah, you know, I'm not coming to church, but I'm not ready to talk about it. And, I, and folks, that was a good for you. He still hasn't told me why. And I'm like, whoa, you went from I'm covenanting with you to I'm not coming back to church anymore, and I won't tell you. Folks, that's not covenant. That is not the fruit of this kind of language. I would rather you don't tell me you covenant with me, and you actually just demonstrate it by your life, Okay. Now, that was a real example where me, well, for me where people use these words, but they didn't live it at all. What's, I mean, what does that reveal to you and me about that person's character or any person's character who says, I'm there for you, pastor. I'm with you. I'm, and he's not. I would rather work with somebody who's actually there, who actually rocks up to meetings, who actually is faithful than somebody who says, I will be faithful to you and isn't. Which kind of guy are you going to marry, ladies? Mm. Okay, now we got some attention. I can see some people just suddenly woke up and thought, this could be useful in my life, okay? I can see where this stuff can be applied, okay? Seeing opportunity in Ruth 1 verse 22, it's the end of, and, and we're mostly going to look in Ruth chapter 2. So they arrive in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So this is about April. That's when the barley harvest happens in Israel. Verse 2, Ruth said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Folks, this woman of godly, noble character, they come walking into Bethlehem, and as you walk into town, you're walking through the fields around, and she's seeing the barley harvest is going on. Now, it was tradition in that culture, but it was also law in Israel that... The, the, the reapers, the, those who are harvesting the grain, any grain, whether it was barley or wheat, they were not allowed to reap every bit, like 100%. And they were not allowed to prevent poor people from going into the fields and picking over little bits of grain that had been left, over, left in the field here and there. It was, a, it was you could say, a, a social welfare program that was written into the culture and into the practices of the nation of Israel, that poor people would go into the fields of rich people after the harvesters had gone through, the workers had, and pick up, and they would live. And this woman sees it. She sees opportunity. Okay? Folks, you need eyes of faith to see opportunity. Now, a person who doesn't have, ah, nothing's going to work. Ah, no, there's no opportunity. Yeah, you know, I need to go to New York. That's the only place there are opportunities. Folks, I'm telling you, there are opportunities in Peter Maritzburg and Porfader and Picketburg if you will open your eyes. If you, will, if you have eyes of faith, say, God, you brought me here for a reason. I'm here for a reason. Show me opportunities. Folks, a person of noble character who has faith in God sees opportunities all around them. I know somebody, he, he, he has 
He has eyes for opportunities. He, he kind of, but, but he did say this. He said the only thing about opportunities is they take really hard to bring, to bring the, the, them to fruition. He's kind of like praying at the moment, oh, don't show me more opportunities because I know every business opportunity that I see, that's a bucket load of work to make that business idea into something workable. But the thing is, he's got eyes for opportunities. This woman saw, ah, oh, there's food in these fields. We're going to be okay. We're not going to starve. Folks, they're walking as a foreigner into a, into a foreign country. And I want to say this, folks. Two women, both widowed. Folks, they were of the most vulnerable people in that community. Because that, that day, I mean, this is, we're talking 3,000 years ago in Israel. It was a male-dominated culture where land and businesses and most economic activity was actually done by men. And if you were a widow, you were literally excluded from a lot of economic activity because that was the zone for men, okay? Am I glad I don't live in that area? And all the women said, amen, okay? And so they were incredibly vulnerable economically and socially in that culture. But she sees opportunity. She says, ha, it's harvest time. We're going to be okay. I'll make a plan. She says, mom-in-law, we don't know how old Naomi is. We know she's probably an elderly lady. She probably couldn't go in the fields all day, bending over on the ground, picking up grain. Naomi says, I'll do this. Uh, Ruth says, let, let me go. Let me go. And I want to I wanna just put there, I remember I said, finding favor, and she says, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Remember I said faith for favor? She's trusting God to lead her to the right field and that she would find favor in that place, hopefully with a landowner. Now, I don't know if she was trusting for a wealthy Landover, Landover, who was very eligible for marriage. I don't know if that's how much favor she was trusting for, but that's what she got. Naomi said to her, this is the mother-in-law, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out. She said it and she did it. She didn't just say, oh, you know, I'll go and she, not like, oh, we've traveled far, you know, let me rest for a couple of weeks, you know, I need to recover. She's out in the fields. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. Glean, that she means to pick up the leftovers behind the harvesters. Next slide. Um, remember I said, a person of noble character, and what we see in Ruth is that she's respectful and honoring. In verse 6 to 7, Boaz, so she goes to the fields, and she's working in the fields, and Boaz speaks to a former, his foreman, who's looking after the workers. And, and Boaz sees this, this attractive young lady in the fields gleaning, and he asks his foreman, who's that girl? And the foreman replied, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. I'm, I'm, I'm making the point that she's respectful and honoring. Folks, she went to the foreman, and she asked permission, and she used the word please. You know, my parents used to teach me that please was a golden word, that it unlocked favor. <laughs> I find so few people know the word please. It's just, I demand, gimme, 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 gimme. My name is Jimmy, okay? Folks, please and thank you are golden words that are marks of somebody who has noble character, somebody who's respectful and honoring. Our culture, you know, I was speaking to uh, one of the, the teachers here yesterday that was at the baby dedication and I was sharing about teaching and etc. 
And I was saying, you know, my dad, he started teaching in 1965, and he taught in the same school for 35 years. Uh, and he, he was a very satisfied teacher. He didn't want to be a principal. He loved teaching, and he taught, and he, and he loved it, and he was a great teacher. But my dad, by the time he got to retirement around the year 2000, he really didn't want to teach anymore. His delight was always to be in the classroom engaging with the kids. He was a history teacher, and history teachers, you tell them stories, and he loved his history stories, etc. I mean, when my dad used to teach, literally, if you walked down the corridors of the school, school you could, if you heard a class roaring with laughter, it was my dad's class, Wibby's class. Here you say, hey, can you hear Wibby? He was a legend and a brilliant storyteller. My dad didn't want to teach by the year 2000 there. He said, because the children are so disrespectful and rude. This is 2000. I'm glad I'm not a teacher <laughs> in 23 years later. Folks, this culture is becoming more disrespectful and dishonoring. I don't want to and I will not mention what happens in Parliament nowadays. You guys know. Those are our top elected officials who are meant to be dealing with weighty national issues. And I'm like, oh my goodness, they cannot talk to each other in a respectful way. It's concerning to me. What are we going to do? I'm saying, I'm going to preach righteousness from this pulpit, and we are going to raise up people who are respectful and honoring. You know, one of the things that I, I really thank my dad for is he used to sort me and my brother out if we were disrespectful to our mom, to my mom. If we spoke in a rude way, disrespect, my dad was all over me like a rash. And I'm not going to tell you what that looked like, okay? That's personal stuff that, you know, I've dealt with. But he, he demanded and expected my brother and I to show respect to my mother. I had no problem respecting my dad because he was a big, strong dude. And, you know, he, I knew. I had to respect him. There was no doubt in my mind. And even today, with my children... I ensure that they speak respectfully to their mother. Okay, and this is such a key. Let's move on. Next point, working hard. Ruth 2, verse 6 to 7. The foreman replied, She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now. This is the foreman telling Boaz about this lady. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now. Now, we don't know when now is, probably late afternoon. Boaz is coming to check how the reaping has been going. Except for a short rest in the shelter. Midday, they usually take a rest, etc. The New Living Translation says, She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Folks, this is April. Uh, barley harvest is, is around April. In Israel, it's hot. You can go look at where the temperatures are, dry country. There you are in the field from morning till late with a short rest in the middle, bending over all day, picking up little grains of barley on the ground. Let me tell you, it's hard work. I can't imagine how sore a back must have been. And she did this day after day. Because look what it says in, at the end of the, the last verse of Ruth chapter 22, 2 verse 23. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz, to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Folks, the barley harvest was April, May. The wheat harvest was June, July. For three to four months, this girl is in the field from morning to late, gathering the little bits of grain that are left after the harvesters. 
a woman of noble character. You know, you read this kind of thing, and you kind of see, yeah, Boaz checked her out in the field working the first day, and he said, come here, put a ring on her finger, they got married, and lived happily ever after. Folks, this was three to four months working every day in the fields. And I want to also highlight this to you, that noble character is visible. People see it. Because this, her reputation in the town, remember we read in the beginning, the whole town knew about her noble character? Everybody knew, this girl is different. She's not a shirker. She's not scared of hard work. She's in there every day getting food for her and her mother-in-law. Let's go on, finding favor. So Boaz, in 2 verse 8, so Boaz said to Ruth, now what happened over here is he called her, he asked the, the foreman about her, and then he called her and he spoke to her. This was right in the beginning, after the first day. My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Now look at this favor. She could have gone around Bethlehem, there were fields, lots of people. God led her to Boaz's field. And it was dangerous work, folks, for a single young lady to be out in the fields day after day working and walking. There was danger. And he expresses his desire to protect her from the dangers that are to mention to you. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from there. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. Look at that protection he's coming in here. I don't know who the workers were who were harvesting. Maybe there were some, you know, kind of unsavory characters amongst them who kind of wouldn't mind, you know, saying how's it to some, some poor girl who's picking up the gleanings over here. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Look at this favor she's finding. So she can now go and basically have water with his paid workers. He's providing water for, for them. He's saying, go over there. He's saying, stay with my workers. Favor. Folks, do you have faithful favor in your life? Have you got an expectation that you, there are going to be divine connections with people that will just unlock opportunities for you? Folks, life is beautiful when you have faithful favor and more importantly, when you see these divine doors open for you. Let's go on. Another example of being respectful and honoring in verse 10 of chapter 2. After he said this, look at how she responds. So firstly, I highlight how respectful and honoring she was when she went to the foreman and said, please, may I? If you look at all her interactions with her mother-in-law, it's respectful, it's honoring. And here we're looking at how she engages with Boaz himself. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes? that you notice me, a foreigner, okay? That term foreigner, unless you've visited a foreign land, I, I haven't stayed in a foreign land. I mean, and we have people, foreigners over here in our church who moved to South Africa, foreigners. But I've traveled in a foreign land. I remember one time we were in France, we, Jen and I, we were traveling through France, and I thought this is going to be really cool because my wife did French at high school. And so we sorted. So wherever we go, she can speak French, and, and we'll find our way. So we go to this town in northern Italy, through this town, Lille, no, in France. Did I say? Yeah, sorry, France. And, and folks, it's an example of just how horrible it is to be a foreigner in some countries. 
And we didn't know it, but there was some major soccer game going on, literally that weekend, when we trying to come through. Jenny was seven months pregnant with, with, with Heidi. Uh, we were just about legal to fly. And, and so we're looking for a hotel. And I'm, I'm literally feeling like Joseph and Mary. So firstly, to find parking in the, these town, little cobble streets, there's no parking. And we don't, I don't even know what a hotel is in French. You know, I'm going... Hotel, l'hotel, hotel. I'm, I'm talking to people, and, like, and they will not talk to you. If the French smell that you are English, they will not, they can all speak English. They will not speak English to you. And I'm l'hotel, hotel, motel. I'm, I'm anybody, uh, nobody. They won't stop, they won't talk to you, you know. And there's Mary next to me, you know, <laughs> with her pregnant. Anyway, we find this hotel. And it's this on this corner, and it's these dingy steps, and we go up. We took one look at that room and that bed, and my wife said, not this side of eternity. Am I sleeping in that bed? You know, it's this dingy bed. You can just, you just, it's unclean, it's dusty, it's like unhygienic. I was like, ooh, I'm not going to get my wife to sleep over here. So we just, we just get in the car, we drive out of town. Now, why am I telling you that story, folks? I felt so unwelcome. I felt so like I can't even talk to these people. These people won't talk to me. I'm highlighting when she says a foreigner, when she finds favor with Boaz, folks. Do you know what a relief this would have been to her? You know, I just wish in that moment, in that afternoon, we were in Lille. In, in, I wish I found somebody who spoke English who could just show me where a nice hotel. I couldn't find anybody. I felt like a foreigner. Okay, and all the foreigners said, now you're talking, pastor. Okay. I felt like a foreigner. Folks, I'm trying to highlight to you how difficult it is when you're in a community that you don't belong. Folks, can we not be like that with visitors who come to this church? Just by the way, okay? They ask you where the bathroom is and you're kind of like, I don't like your accent. I'm not answering you, okay? <laughs> At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Now, this is a rhetorical question. She's actually acknowledging that she has found favor with Boaz. Remember she said, may I go to the fields, may I find favor? She's acknowledging, God, you have given me favor with this man, the wealthy rich landowner. Let's go on. Ruth, verse 11, the next verse. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with people you did not know before. Folks, noble character can be seen. People talk. People notice noble character. I want to tell you, you trusting God for a job? Folks, get qualified, but work on your noble character. I want to submit you. If somebody is looking for an honest worker, which I think most people would like honest workers, not dishonest workers, I want to submit you. Somebody who's honest and has noble character is visible. People will see it. Verse 12. May the Lord repay for you what you have done. It's Boaz talking to her. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What amazing words. 
Folks, and he's actually prophetically speaking because he would be the one who would take her under his wings. Now, folks, this is right in the beginning. She still worked for another three to four months, we know, in the fields to the, to the end of chapter two. So he's, he's just, it's the first time he's encountering this lady. Things happen in this man's heart and in her heart over the next couple of months. They eventually got married. But he was actually prophetically speaking, he was the one who brought her under the wing and his wings. And it was through him that she experienced exactly this, the reward of the Lord God's favor. Verse 13, she says, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. Look at also, it's respectful. Now, it's also culturally appropriate. You've got to understand how you res show respect in each culture. She said, You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. You know, she, she kind of says, listen, I'm not even employed by you. I'm like a nobody to you, but you've given me favor. Thank you. Look how nicely and respectfully and honoringly she's speaking. That is noble character. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Okay, this was this is chapter 4 now. Sorry, previously, <laughs> sorry. Previously we had chapter 2. This is now moving on like a whole two chapters on. Lots happened over here. She's, she's gathered, and, and I mean, you can go read the story. It's fascinating how her mother-in-law guides her on how to kind of, um, you know, connect with Boaz, find favor with him, etc. Verse 13 of chapter 4 now. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. Can you believe her gray, her, what's it? Her grandson was David. Wow. This is amazing. I want to conclude, just go to our list that we're looking at. Noble character traits seen in Ruth. Faithful in relationships. Faithful to her mother-in-law. Faithful in working uh, with, this, with a foreman and the other workers and the other servant girls. We don't see any conflict erupting between her saying, this is mine and that's yours and, you know, no, nothing, nothing nasty. Seeing opportunity and working hard for months in the sun, gathering grain. Faith to find favor. She trusted God and she found favor with him, with a foreman, with the workers, with a mother-in-law. She was respectful and honoring in all her dealings with all the people. There's no nastiness, meanness, jealousy, uh, manipulation, etc. She's honest and upright and respectful in all her dealings. And she sees God's faithfulness and provision. I want to conclude with just two points about character. Andy Stanley said this, Character is the will to do what's right even when it's hard. The will to do what's right even though it's hard. She left her home in Moab. She had a house, etc. She was set up in the community to come here and work like a servant in the fields, picking up grain day after day, month after month. The most direct path to where you want to be is not the most ethical one. <laughs> the most direct path to where you want to be is not the most ethical one. I want to submit to you, if your greatest desire is to be rich, you'll cross all kinds of illegal boundaries. But if your desire is to have noble character, that's very different. You'll see obstacles and you will say, I'm not busting through that boundary that I recognize is, is of God. A.W. Tozer described character as the excellence of moral beings. You're a moral being, I'm a moral being. Character is your excellence. Excellence is a beautiful word. 
Do you carry excellence? Are you working on your excellence? You know that word about a roadblock, sign a roadblock, um, Lusanna got it in pre-meeting two weeks ago. Folks, I want to tell you, when you stand in front of that roadblock, if your goal, if you so go, you want to get through that roadblock, you are going to make a million bucks before you are 23 come hell or high water, and I'm going to bust through this roadblock. What happens if God's goal is to mold noble character in you, and yes, he will provide for you along the way. If your goal is to have noble character, you're not going to bust through illegal roadblocks that are placed there by God. Some of them are just simply the laws of the land. How about the roadblock of that you arrive at work at 8 p.m. and you chile at 5 p.m.? But no, you want to wada, 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 your side hustle over here, so you leave work at 3 p.m. Why are you busting through the roadblock? You are employed to work until 5 p.m. Stop wada, wada, here on your side issue over here. Be faithful to your work until 5 p.m. A.W. Tozer said, Carrick described to character as the excellence of moral being, of a moral being. Are you excellent? As the excellence of gold is its purity, and the excellence of art is its beauty, so the excellence of man is his character. The excellence of man and woman, by the way, is his character. Can we, can we stand as we close in prayer? You know, folks, I was just so aware of this roadblock thing again this, as I was preparing. And I was like, sure, you know, roadblock can mean many things to many different people. But we sang a song about you work when nobody sees. I always forget the words when I'm singing it with all my heart. How does the word about you work even when we don't see and we don't, that, that song. Uh, yes, that song. There we go. Folks, when you're at the roadblock, you think nothing's happening. You can't get that breakthrough. You can't, at the moment, sign that deal. Uh, you know, you're not getting that, that, that job that you applied for, and you think nothing's happening. How about that job application that you haven't got for three months is God's working noble character in your life? Could it be that he's trying to make you a more godly and a man or woman? Is nothing happening. Lots is happening. You're trusting God like crazy. Much more now three months later than you were, you know, when you first applied for the job because you applied it for the job with quite a lot of arrogance and confidence and thinking, you know, <laughs> I'm so hot. Three months later, it's like, God, would you open the door? I trust you. Lord, your will be done. Folks, noble character has worked in you. God is always working, even when we think nothing's happening. I want to submit to you so often, what's he doing? Noble character. So let's pray. Lord God, I want to, again, Lord, I just have this picture of people <laughs> standing at a roadblock. And, and Lord, so often we're confused with the roadblock because we like to go. We want to go. We want just keep going, keep going, going. But sometimes you slow us down because, God, there's stuff you want to do in us, which is much more important than that breakthrough you, you, <laughs> we think we need. And so, God, I just pray that you would work this noble character in us, like we see in Ruth, Lord. Lord, she was faithful in relationships. God, may we be faithful in relationships. Lord, she was hardworking and she saw opportunities. God, may we, may we be like that. Lord, she had faith for favor. And Lord, she found it. She found favor in your time. Amazing favor. Lord, She's, she's, we, we preach about her 3,000 years later, Lord. 
what favor, Lord? Lord, a good name or a good reputation is worth more than riches, Lord. Lord, and favor is worth more than silver and gold. God, may we just give us new lenses. So often we just, we just see things not right, not godly. God, you always work here. You always work just I just wanted to add for us to pray now um, just praying for godly character and I I just felt convicted by the Lord for us to also just pray and ask the Lord to uh, to help us and for us to repent where we have potentially in our lives allowed uh, the temptations of the enemy to allow us to go back on some areas in our lives where we have maybe held uh, good character values and things that are important to us, but maybe there's been temptation to let the lies slip out a little bit more, to shirk on the time frames, and for us just to repent before the Lord and to commit to saying, Lord God, we choose to walk with godly character. We repent for giving in to temptations and, and saying that everyone else is doing these things around us. So it's, it's, it's fine if we do too. And Lord God, we ask that you would call us back to the high standard that we may have uh, chosen to walk in in earlier days, and for some of us, that's maybe been a long time. For some of us, it's, it's, it's maybe been, it's just easy to just let things slip. Lord God, we ask that we would stand as, as examples of bastions of faith, so as people in our society that they can say, regardless of the opportunity to to go back on character, that, that Awonke will not, that he is a lecturer that will not give in to requests for whatever, corruption, for signing off on things that are not right and done, that this person will not steal a pen from work. This person will not steal time because I know that they are integrous. Lord God, we stand before you with our hearts and ask for your conviction and your help. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepnb.co.za And for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepnb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877. To join us for in-person services, visit us at 154 Burkett Road, Scottsville, Peter Maritzburg. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.